Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. I could see how it could be used for a lot of bad, a lot of negative, but I could see how God wants to use it for good. So he started, he, he had some failed attempts on some other things that he did, but when he did uh, Would You Be My Neighbor, or, Mr., or it's a wonderful, I don't know, what was the name of the show? Mr. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, right. Um, he said, I'm going to teach biblical principles without the audience knowing, without going and quoting a scripture. And uh, he talked about loving uh, love and, and kindness and like he, he had a whole show about the fruit of the spirit but yet he didn't say these are the fruit of the spirit it was the little war it was a little king going to war with the other king and there was conflict and he says what can we do and he says I know what we could do let's send them balloons of love <laughs> you know Mr. Rogers and in the balloons they popped when they got to the castle the I forgot the name of the king forgive me and um and, and one was kindness, and one was gentleness, and, and he taught on the fruit of the Spirit, and that's what kids were receiving. He says, I'm so he was a preacher, um, in a sense, on television for many years, and, and maybe it's the spirit behind that is why we smile when we hear that song, right? If you know other news about Mr. Rogers that I didn't know, forgive me, I did not know that other, if there was a scandal or something, I'm sorry. <laughs> Some of you are like, if you only knew who, re- I don't know, that's what I heard, that's what I've read up. And that's what I saw on interviews. He was an interesting guy. Amen. Today I'm going to continue with our, with our scripture, with our passage that we've been on for the last two weeks. Um, I hope to pass it and pass by today and, and just finish it in a sense. And we're going to continue with loving neighbor. It's crazy because normally when I do a series, I give each, each message a different topic. But it's weird because this is a one continual topic that we're talking about. So it's been hard for me to give Loving Neighbor Part 1 this name, Loving Neighbor Part 2 this name. It just caught this rhythm of continuing to dialogue on on this passage. I know that for sure um, next week, if God allows, I I have a lot in my heart and what God is challenging me in when it comes to prayer and how a loving neighbor is ought to pray. And um, so that's going to have a specific theme to it. I'm I'm, I'm actually excited for next week. I wish I could preach that message already today, but I want to continue in loving neighbor. Can we open up our Bibles real quick to Luke chapter 10? Luke 10, take it out there, uh, uh, flip out, flip your pages, the days of pages being flipped. Are they officially over in the church? I hope not. I hope not. Actually, I need mine. Oh, here it is. Um, I hope not, but for you guys with smart devices and all that stuff, Luke chapter 10, give me an amen. Once you're there, once it comes up on the screen, or once it's on your screen there, shout an amen so that the listeners on podcast could hear you. All right. They heard that one. They heard that one. Amen. Luke chapter 10 is where we've been more or less for the last two weeks. And we've been talking about the story, right, of the Good Samaritan. And um, last week I went to the end and then I jumped into the beginning. Today I'm going to read it in fullness and and go from the beginning there um, to the end, how it starts and then how it ends. In Luke chapter 10... Uh, verse 25, uh, we, we're going to start reading, and I'll give you guys some thoughts here um, today. It says, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus, and he said, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? 
And he said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Remember, you tell me. If you were here last Sunday, um, you, were, you, you heard a message that hopefully touched you and challenged you. If you are listening to today, um, it will be a crime if you don't go back and hear last Sunday's. Because today is connected to last Sunday. And if you hear today, you're going to be a little bit lost. Though you're going to get a message, but you're not going to get the whole context of it. Because it continues from where we left off last Sunday. So, he says, you tell me, what's the reading of it? You're, you're the expert of the law. So he answers and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28 says, and he said to him, you have answered rightly. And then remember that? Now do this. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You just asked the person next to you a few moments ago, would you be my neighbor? And, and here is this scholar, this man, and he tells Jesus, all right, you're telling me to love you with all of this, with all of my being, but at the end you mentioned the neighbor. So to justify himself, he says, and who's my neighbor? And this is where we get into the story in verse 30, because Jesus has an interesting way of teaching. He uses parables and stories to teach this lesson. And in verse 30, he goes into it and he says, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This man who Jesus is speaking to would know this journey, as we've learned for the last two weeks, that this was a very dangerous path. It was a path from Jerusalem to Jericho that would go through the mountains, and it was a place where thieves and criminals would hide in the caves, and then they would come out, rob, be even kill certain travelers on that path. This man was aware of this journey that Jesus is telling him about. He says a certain man went from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's almost like if I tell you a certain man went from Kendall to Hialeah through the Palmetto. Yeah, ooh, there you go, the danger. Or I-95, oh. Okay? It's almost like you got to go into an intense prayer service before you hit I-95 these days. It's crazy. So he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And now, verse 31, by chance there was a certain priest. Everyone say priest. You remember that? He came down that road, and when he saw him, the priest saw him, right? He passed on the other side. Remember that conversation we had? Intentionally crossing the road when there was a man in need down the same road he was walking. He crosses to the other side. Verse 32, likewise a Levite, when he arrived at that place, he came and he looked. He saw him too, man, and he passed by on the other side. Did the same thing that the priest did. And verse 33, a Jew speaking to another Jewish man, he mentioned something that would be an insult to him. And he says this, but there was a certain Samaritan, a half-breed, an enemy, us Jews, we don't like Samaritans. Us Jews look down upon them. We're better than them, and they think that they're better than us, that their places of worship are the true places of worship, but yet we believe our places of worship is the true places of worship. And there was this bickering and this fighting because they intermingled, and they have different beliefs in where the true places of worship are and true beliefs about certain things, and they're in fighting. And Jesus, out of all the examples that he's going to use, says, and there was a certain Samaritan that was walking down the road. The man's hair is probably 
spiked up behind his neck when he heard the word Samaritan. And what is he going to do? If the others walked around the road, this man walked up to him and kicked him for sure because he's a Samaritan. (laughs) And Jesus says as he journeyed, he came where he was. And when he saw him, he had what? You should highlight that, underline that, write that in your notes or in your Bible, compassion. I believe that if we are in Christ, we're all called to have compassion. I'm going to teach on that for a moment. Verse 34 says, so he went to him, he bandaged his wounds, he poured on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal. He brought him to an inn. If a man was full of blood, would you be worried about putting him in your car because he's going to mess up the seats? I'm just asking one day. A homeless man asks you for a ride, would you be scared to give him a ride because he's going to smell up your car? I mean, I'm just asking you. I'm not, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying where your heart is. You know. He brought him to an inn and he took care of him. 35, on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii. He gave to the innkeeper and he said to him, take care of him whatever more you spend. When I come again, I'm going to repay you. And he says to the man who he's originally speaking to, he says, so let me ask you, which of these three do you think was the neighbor? The neighbor. Everyone say neighbor. Neighbor. To him who fell among thieves. Would you be my neighbor? That that should be maybe the message today. Would you be my neighbor? And Jesus said, and he said, sorry, he who showed mercy. And Jesus said, he didn't even say, you're right. He just said, go and do likewise. We, we, we've, we've gone over this teaching and we've gone over this story and there's so much and so much of, we've said that so much of his teachings come from the questions of others. And, and I love that Jesus, remember we said doesn't force, remember that? But he's, he's coming to this man, he opens, the door's open and he takes this opportunity. But now let's get into this for a second because we see here, let's get now, we, we went over some key things uh, last week that God was showing us. But let's look into this passage for a moment. The first thing we see here that there was this lawyer and he was a religious lawyer and he was an expert of the law. As an expert of the law, he was what we would know as to be an interpreter and a teacher of the law. So as he comes to Jesus, he knew the word very well. He was a teacher and interpreter of it. And in verse 25, this religious leader comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus, what shall I do? How many of you believe that's a great question? I think any, none of you, okay. I believe, I think that that's always a good question. Because if I'm going to do something, at least I'm asking how and what should I do? Because um, hopefully I could start doing it right. And not just go into it ignorantly. And and the man tells Jesus, what shall I do? Great question. I believe it's a great question. And and it's a question that we don't see here for the first time. What shall I do is a question continuously that is asked in Scripture. And it's even asked to Jesus many times in the New Testament. What shall I do? If you remember, Peter was asked the question, what shall we do? Do you guys remember when Peter was asked that question? It was after his sermon on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. He's there and there's a massive crowd and he's preaching to them. And this crowd of, we know 3,000 of them got baptized that day, but however many it was, there was thousands, we know that. And after Jesus teaches them, after Peter is teaching them, the Bible says they're cut to the heart. They're convicted to the heart. And their conviction causes them to ask a question. What do we do now, Peter? What shall we do? When they heard Peter's words, when they were cut to the heart, Peter And the brothers were asked, what shall we do? 
It's, it's a place of where do I go? I need direction in my life. And at this moment, the lawyer in this passage in the book of Luke chapter 10, he asked Jesus, what shall I do? But I believe that when he asked it, and the, actually I don't have to say I believe it, the scripture kind of shows it to us. It's a desire, what scripture says, only to justify himself. The question of what shall I do was not necessarily what we come to see because he really wanted to know what should he do, but he was justifying who he really was. And that's what he was doing here, to justify himself. What shall I do was not a desire from this man to genuinely seek from the man that he's asking the question to, which is Jesus. Have you ever come into prayer? And have you ever asked the Lord, because you got into something very, um, very fuzzy in your life, and, and you're desperate, and it leads you to ask him, Lord, what shall I do? Well, what I would love for you to do is to meditate on that question and see the motive behind that question. Are you asking the Lord to justify the wrong that you've done and you don't want to get caught or you don't want to get exposed or you don't want to lose something? Or what shall I do? Is it coming from a place of, Lord, whatever this is going to take me, may I come to know you, the one I stand before. This man was not doing it to seek Jesus. This man was doing it to justify his life. Justify himself. And, and when we apply what we've learned in his word, and it is, is it with the desire that we look at the word of God, we hear the word of God preached, people speak to us the word of God, and, and do we hear it and do we justify ourselves? Like, like seriously, I want you to really examine this for a moment. If you come here on a Sunday or if you're studying the word of God on your own, whatever it is, do you grab the scripture and try to justify yourself? Or is there a deep desire in you to be gripped by Jesus and take you to where he may lead you? I, I really think that we all have been here and we all struggle with this I really do. So what's the question? You got to love. Do, do it as the scripture says. Do as the law says. He says, okay, I, I do that. What is it? He says, well, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And what does this man ask Jesus? Okay, I understand the loving part, I'm guessing, but what does it mean to love your neighbor? Well, who's your neighbor? That's the next part he asks in verse 29. What shall I do? Jesus tells him what he should do, and now he wants to go deeper. Okay, who's the neighbor that you're talking about? That's very important in this culture that is being spoken, and they're speaking to one another in its current culture, because to the Jewish, any member of the Hebrew nation in the commonwealth, that's my neighbor. And Jesus is going to break through that and say, no, not just your commonwealth, not just the Jewish culture. I'm going to take this deeper. And the man says, who's my neighbor? And this man might have been justifying. It's got to be those who are members of the Hebrew nation. That's, that's who my neighbor. Surely you don't want me to give aid to a Samaritan. Surely you don't want me to get aid to some sort of a rebellious Gentile. Surely you want us to keep this within the family. But when he asked Jesus, what's my neighbor, to Jesus, it was different. He was going to show this man something totally different. It's, it's any other man, regardless of the nation or religion, with whom we live or whom we have a chance to meet. You know the Christians that walk next to the Muslims and they get disgusted in the Muslims? Shame on that Christian. Sorry, I just have to say that. I'm going to go back. 
Oh my God, it's a Muslim. I got to cross the road. No, go and serve him and love him and love her. Who cares if she's a Muslim? Maybe by your act of love, the Muslim would say, that's what true love is. I want the Jesus that they serve. And oh, oh, let's walk to the other side because they're wrapped up in linens and I'm scared that inside they have some sort of a tongue. Get over it. Love your neighbor. We put up the window when we pass by someone disgusting or we walk a little bit faster when they're tapping on our shoulder. And God might be opening up a door to say, would you love me in this circumstance? It's very easy to love when we're in the same commonwealth and when we're in the same family. Oh, you don't hide yourself. Like it's very easy when we're amongst the commonwealth, when we're amongst the same nation in these four walls. But what about when it's not? What about when you get invited to go to jail and speak to the man who was a pedophile and you it's so hard inside of you? How do I love that pedophile knowing what he's done but God called me to go to that jail and look at him through the glass and say do you know that even with what you did Jesus loves you and wants to save you that's a neighbor I know that stuff ticks Christians off I know that I know that ticks Christians off because it ticked me off and I had to pray about it I had to pray about it how The Greek word for neighbor, pleseon, it comes from a word, pelas, is the root word where it comes from. And you know what that word neighbor means? It does not mean someone from the same hood, from the same nation. The word for neighbor, when Jesus tells him, he means anyone who's near. Anyone who's close by, just touch them. The question of who is my neighbor it, it was an attempt to, to limit the demands of the law. It was, he was suggesting that some people are neighbors while others are not. You know what I've learned being in Christ for, for a while and that I have to constantly look at the mirror and fight to never become? It's very easy to be in Christ and years down the road to become so religious that we lose the image of Christ and we start to gather the image of religion rather than who Christ is. My neighbor is, is it's anyone that's close by, it's anyone near, it's anyone that I could touch. It's not just some people and then some people are definitely not my neighbors. See, this lawyer was looking, you should write this down maybe, this lawyer was looking for minimal obedience. Minimal obedience. While Jesus was looking for absolute obedience. What is the Lord calling you to? Is he calling you to minimal obedience or is he calling you to absolute obedience? If you answer absolute obedience, he's going to show you some neighbors very soon. Some very close by. He's going to check your heart to see if you're going to check your heart to see if you really want to walk in absolute obedience. Uh, hallelujah. We could just wrap it up. What was Jesus saying to this man? Look around. 
Look around. These are all your neighbors. <laughs> These are all your neighbors. Uh, I think about when Jesus was, was teaching. And he was in uh, Capernaum, right? And wasn't it, was it by Peter's mother-in-law's house? Or was it in Peter's mother-in-law's house? And he's approached by some of his followers and um, about his mother and his brothers. Do you guys know that story? Hey, Jesus, they're outside. They're waiting for you. And the, the room is slammed. Not one more person fits. And knock outside. Maybe Peter's out there. You know, he's like, hey, we're trying to see if we can make some space. And Mary shows up with the brothers because Jesus had brothers. Mary had some kids. And... Um, they, she's, she's like, um, this is the family. Like, for sure, we have a, something saved in the front. Or that's our son, and they're teaching. And they come in and say, Jesus, your brothers and your mom, they're outside, and they're, they're asking for you. Luke chapter 8, verse 19 is so powerful when you get the concept of, of what Jesus was trying to teach about when it comes to family. What, what he was trying to teach about when it comes to family and when it comes even to neighbor, close by, nearness. What we would even call, what preachers call proximity, right? Luke chapter 8, 19 says, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, and they could not approach him because of the crowd. You know, there's a whole preaching in here that a crowd should never stop you from approaching the sun. But whatever, let's not preach that message right now. But verse 20 says, And it was told him by some, and it says that your mother... And your brothers are standing outside. This is Luke 8, 19 to 21. And they desire to see you. And then Jesus says, awesome teaching moment. And what does he say? My mother and my brother are these who hear the word of God. And they... What, what, what is that? Obey it. Do it. Not minimal obedience. Absolute obedience makes that my mother and my brothers, that's my family. I look at this passage and I think it's so powerful because Jesus is showing us something. Jesus is teaching something of to break the barriers, to break the walls and recognize that your reach, your extent is so much greater than what you have even reached or touched or walked into as of this day. Or you could even imagine that your neighbors are all over and you have a message and there's people that are going to hear and they're going to do it and they're going to become part of it. But you have to go out and serve and love and be a loving neighbor. And what does and who is the neighbors around you? And Jesus is really giving us some interesting, interesting picture of when it comes to neighbors. The story of the Good Samaritan, it would be back to that story offensive to this lawyer, to this religious man. For various reasons. I'm sure we could mention 20 and more reasons than that. But to keep it simple, we'll talk about three reasons today. This man was a Jewish man. He was brought up in Judaism. He learned all the customs. He learned all the rituals. He knew all the traditions and followed in those traditions. He was zealous about the Mosaic law. He was zealous for the law. And this parable to him, I know it would become and it would be offensive on this day. Number one, as Jesus is teaching, he points out that there is a priest and that there was a Levite. And what did they do? They lacked in showing what? Remember the word I told you to highlight, circle, and write it down in your notes? 
they lacked in showing compassion. Man, worse than this, man, their actions were straight up inhumane. And then the priest, he would be describing most likely that of a high priest. The Jewish religious figurehead, one who held a sacred position, who would offer up um, these offerings and sacrifices before the so-called presence of God. The priest who would be a descendant of Aaron, Moses' brother. And then he goes and he goes deeper. Not just the priest walked by, but he also says a Levite. And, and who's Levite? Levite was a descendant of the tribe of Levi. One who would assist the priest in their duties. A Levite, as we study them in the Old Testament, they were born into an inheritance, Levites. And they would, they, they would be looked at as a special people because there was nothing that they would have to necessarily do to attain this inheritance. It was because they were born in the Levitical priesthood. They were Levites and they had to learn and be trained. And they were born into this Levitical inheritance. And these are the people that Jesus uses to describe in his story. So Jesus mentioning those two prestigious groups would be an insult and an offense to the lawyer. It would be a dagger to the heart because you're talking about my people. It would be challenging his views, his roots, the zealousness of the law that he lived for and tried to defend. It would be all of that for the Jewish man. Number two, another reason that this would be offensive is because this man, being a Jewish man, speaking to Jesus, another Jewish man, surely this lawyer would look at Jesus with hatred and spite if his heart was not right. Jesus may be, may, may be looked at, according to this man, as a traitor, one who was trying to ruffle up the religious establishment in Israel. He would be seen as one that was trying to start a revolt to establish a different religious government in Israel, stripping the rich and powerful from their positions. And he knew that. And he says, who is this man and what is he trying to do? What's his objective? He was a threat. You remember a couple of Easter's ago? The threat. So, so Jesus, knowing the depth of this man's question, knowing the issue of the heart, he challenges him in all that he stands for. He challenges him. And what does he say? There was a man traveling from your city to another city, and they robbed and beat him and left him for dead. And the priest showed up, and a Levite showed up, and let me tell you what they did. What's the answer? It starts with a big N. Nothing. They did nothing. They ignored him. They crossed the road. They didn't even talk to him. They figured that by crossing the other side, maybe it would be a justification. No, we didn't see him. We took the other road. We must have been laying on that road. We didn't take. And, and who knows what the inside story was. The ones who were supposed to do something and care and show compassion. The ones that held the law in their hearts and were to execute it rightly. They might have known the law, but did they operate in the law? Two different things. Two different things, to know the law and then operate in what you know. Many people can know, but not everyone operates. It's operating with that knowledge that you have. And, and, and here are people that were to operate from a law that was supposedly be alive in their hearts, to execute it rightly. Instead, he denies the very law that they believe in. They, deli- they deny the Levite and the priest the very law that they believe in by ignoring the very need before them. My law caused me to care for this person. And instead, they become so religious and so disgusted that they move aside. And we may hold a position, man. And I started thinking about this in my own life and in other people's life. We may hold a position. We may hold the truth. But the position we hold or the truth we hold, listen to this, will never be honored how many of you have a position? 
and you're like, I wonder why people don't honor me. Your position will never be honored unless you begin to faithfully and genuinely operate from that which slays in your heart. What does he tell every single person? Go and do it. What does he tell the sinful woman that was forgiven? Go and sin no more. There's what? There's now a responsibility that you are to live out. Go and do it. You want to live with honor? Faithfully, genuinely operate from that place. So you want to know who your neighbor is? Your neighbor is not just the one who has it all together. Those people are easy. How do you do when it comes to love? Not just the ones that it's comfortable to love, but how about the ones which is uncomfortable for you to love? How you doing? You know that brother that really offended you a couple weeks ago? You know that sister that really got to your nerve because she said that thing that she always says and she said it in front of everyone this time? You know that family member that always knows at the wrong time when to open his mouth? Like, I'm being very honest. You have to use wisdom. You got to guard your heart. You got to do things right. But I'm asking you, did you stop loving? Because though you're called to operate in wisdom, it does not mean that you cease from loving. How are you doing with your love? How are you doing with your love? Who is your neighbor? It's not just one that has it together. It's comfortable to live around. The one who's also being ignored. The situation is difficult, that one. Why? Because certain people just need to be taken in by you. There's moments in someone's life, listen to me, man. There's moments in my life where I just need a moment where someone can provide for me. I'm not going to rest on you for everything, but I just need a moment of refreshing. Have you ever done life with someone and you've hung out with them for a little while and that moment has become a moment of refreshing? They might have not have given you any solution. They were just there, and they loved you through the matter, and it refreshed your soul. Ever been there? I have. I've been there. You've been on both sides. You've been on the one who, has, <laughs> who sucked it up, and then you've been on the ones that they've done a good job. We're human. We're working at this stuff. But it doesn't mean that we can't stop. We've got to stop preaching it. We've got to keep on going for it. They're going to need you to take them in, maybe at times to care. Care so much. Like this good Samaritan did. Your neighbor is not just your own, as we learned, but all the ones that Jesus says, what, I put close to you. That's your neighbor. Hey, your mom's outside. Right, but look at all these people right here. What do you want me to do, walk away from them to go to her? No. I'm thinking, like, she should have gotten here earlier. I told her what time it started. (laughs) She came with my my little brother. Oh, he's annoying. Like, no, I'm not. Everyone I put close by you. Why? Why everyone that I put close by you? Have you thought about this? Because I've given you something that you could offer someone else. How many of you believe that you have something that you could, that you could offer to someone else? I'm in agreement with you, sir. I believe you do have something to offer someone else. This man got off his donkey, puts the man on his donkey, and I think I said this two weeks ago, right? Getting off our own horse, our own high horse. And let another in need sit in its place. The ones that inherit eternal life, don't live for the comforts of this world, but operate from the comfort of the world that lives within them. And I believe that with all my heart, that this world, let this world come to know that there's another world by the way that we begin to display love, by the way we begin to display compassion and servanthood 
in the discomfort of another individual. Amen? All right, reason number three, here we go. Third obvious reason why this man would be offended is because Jesus chooses to select a Samaritan. A Samaritan. The Samaritan would be one that was called good in this story, the good Samaritan. And his whole life, the lawyer would see him as bad, enemy, someone that we look down upon and they look upon us with disgust as well, an outcast. A Samaritan in this culture would have been unthinkable, unthinkable to help especially a Jew. So the question should not be, who is my neighbor? In that way, in asking that, we could maybe exclude certain people. But here's the question. Not who is my neighbor so so I can exclude people. The question is this. How can I be a loving neighbor so I can invite everyone? So that others can be included. I want to teach you guys real quick, maybe it's not teach, but remind you guys about the sins in the Bible. I asked some of you guys this a couple weeks ago. I said, what are the sins of the Bible? Those that learned that, what are they? Do you remember? Say it out loud. Good. Tito learned it, and he, and he knew that already. But the sin of omission and the sins of commission. The sin comes from those places, right? Omission, the sin of omission are the things that you should do, but you don't do. You should write that down. Romans 1, at the end of it, t- teaches us and shows us sins of com- omission all over the Bible. But it's what you should do. Everyone say, what I should do, but I don't do. Those are the sins of omission. You're omitting to do what God's calling you to do. It's a sin. I didn't do anything wrong. That's the whole thing. You didn't even do anything right either. <laughs> Stand before God. I, I didn't do nothing, you know. Right. You didn't do anything. It's also a sin of omission. And then you have a sins, the sins of commission. And these are the things that you should not do, you, but you do anyways. You what? You commit these sins. So you have omission, what I should do, but I don't do. Commission, what I should not do, but I do it anyway. The Levite and the priest are recognized for their sin of omission, correct? I, I would say, yeah. Because they're ignoring what they were called to do. They were ignoring what God would require them to do. It goes deeper than their traditions because they were so caught up in their traditions. And what this story highlights is that there's an issue that rests deep in their heart. How can you say you know God and leave the man in the condition he was in? If his love lives in you, then his love works through you. Yes or no? It was a sin of omission. We talk about horizontal love or horizontal servanthood. When it comes from the vertical place of servanthood or the vertical place of love, where it begins here in order to come here. Horizontally, there is no effect if vertically we're not perfected. It begins in the vertical aspect of our relationship with the Lord. And now our bands and everywhere that you see our, our code and our hype center, everything, everything says love God, love people. We did not put a period after love God. Because if anyone says that they love God and that the love of God is in them, then there's a comma and there's a next thing that goes with it. If you say you love God and God's love is in you, then automatically your response is, guess what? To love people. Yeah, but not the one that looks like that, not the one that smells like that, not the one who's done this wrong, not the one of that religion. No, everyone that the Lord puts around your path, you love your neighbor. You guys are with me on that, right? 
And, and that's so important that we understand this stuff. Oh, but I know all this stuff. Good. We'll be reminded. Because just because people know it, it doesn't mean that they actually do it. I know a lot of this stuff. doesn't mean that I do it. So what do I have to do? I have to really put things into perspective and align my heart with his word and recognize where I'm at. How can I say I know God? See, if you remember in Luke 7, uh, there was something very interesting that happened there. Jesus um, was invited to eat at the man Simon's house. He was a Pharisee. Remember that story? He's there eating with this man, this very powerful man, this man who was of high honor and respect. And what happens to Jesus as he's there? Some woman comes behind him, falls to his feet, brings out a flask of oil, very expensive oil, breaks it at his feet, begins to pour it all over his feet. He's starting to kiss his feet. She's broken by his presence. She's crying. Her tears are falling on his feet. She grabs her hair and she wipes her feet. And then the religious man, Simon, who's a Pharisee on the other side of the table, looks at Jesus and does not say in Scripture that he says it out loud. The Bible says he says it inside of himself. He says, if this man really is a prophet, he would know who it is who's touching him and would tell her that she's a sinner. And, and Jesus, being God, looks and recognizes that the man is speaking such words in his heart. And he says, let me ask you a question. If this man were a prophet, he would know what manner of woman this is who's touching him. For she's a sinner. He came to my house. And this, and I, can, I don't want to offend no one, but imagine the words he said. So Jesus tells him a story. And he says, okay. Let me ask you a story, Pharisee Simon. And he says, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to another. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon, the religious leader, says, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said, that's right. So he turned to the woman and said to Simon, how many of you have been here when I've preached that? He turned to the woman and said to Simon, you're not even, I'm, I'm not even going to look at you when I say this because, because actually this might be more for her than it is for you. And he, he's telling Simon something that's actually more intended for her. <laughs> You've ever been around someone and then she, that person walks in and you're like, I'm going to have this conversation right now and hopefully they hear me. Okay. <laughs> you guys are so good. None of you do that. I hope she, I hope she heard that one. I hope you, you know, I do that about my kids all the time. I talk to my wife, but I'm talking to them. And I said, Nancy, let me tell you something. If it happens one more time, I promise they're going to get it. And, and it's to her, but they're hearing it. <laughs> I love my kids. I don't beat my kids. No, I'm just joking. I use them as examples. But you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Good. Got one person. You're right, verse 44. So he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she washed them with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time that I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but not only my head, she started to anoint me at the feet. With this rare perfume, verse 47, I tell you, look what he's telling him. Look what he's telling him. Look what he's telling him as he's speaking to her. 
I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. To whom has been forgiven much will forgive much, right? To whom has been forgiven and loved much will also love much more. And, and, and it's an awesome teaching here, verse 48. So Jesus says to the woman, here it is. Here's the conversation even to her now. Your sins are forgiven. This is a beautiful story here. Because a loving neighbor, I want you to understand this. Go back to the story of Luke with the Good Samaritan. Go back to everything that I'm telling you. A loving neighbor is never and is not self-righteous. A loving neighbor, neighbor never puts himself to be better than others. Jesus is being washed his feet by a woman that was not a pleasing woman. And no one has a pleasing woman around the courts and around the city and around the town and around the neighborhood. And she's washing his feet and he's loving her. A loving neighbor doesn't say, how dare this woman wash my feet. He was saying that on the other side of the table because he put himself at a place where he felt he was greater than her. And Jesus put himself at her place while looking into her eyes. And he says, to whom much is forgiven will also love much. She hasn't stopped by kissing me. You know why you can't kiss me? Because you don't understand the definition and the revelation of what my forgiveness is. And because you don't know what forgiveness is, you You'll never know what love is. A loving neighbor. Here we go. I'm going to teach on, on a few words. Pity. Everyone say pity. Write that down in your notes. A loving neighbor is not driven by pity. I thought one amen would come out. What does pity say? Pity says this. I acknowledge your suffering. Thank you for having pity. I acknowledge your suffering. Thank you. I acknowledge it too. That's pity. A loving neighbor is not just driven by pity. A loving neighbor, number two, is not driven by even sympathy. Sympathy says what? I care about your suffering. I care about it. Oh, I'm glad you care. I care about it too. I wish it would end. What does your caring, what is your caring going to do for me? What is my caring going to do? So, so far you acknowledge it and so far you care for it. Thank you for your pity. And thank you for your sympathy. But a loving neighbor is driven by empathy. A loving neighbor is driven by compassion. Empathy says this. Come on, follow me here for a moment. Pity says, I acknowledge your suffering. Sympathy says, I care about your suffering. But now a loving neighbor who's, who has empathy for another person says this. Not only do I acknowledge it and I care about it, but one who is filled with empathy says, I feel what you feel. I feel your suffering. I feel your suffering. And compassion is connected with empathy because not only do I feel your suffering, but compassion leads you to say what? I want to what? Relieve you of your suffering. A loving neighbor doesn't just acknowledge it. A loving neighbor doesn't just feel sorry for you because you have it. A loving neighbor doesn't just say, I care for it. A loving neighbor goes deeper than that and says, man, not only do I care and acknowledge it, but man, I feel it. So it's coming to my prayer life now. I feel it. So now I'm coming alongside you and I want to know if you want to fast with me. I feel it. So, so I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go over and you can come over. I feel it now. So let's go ahead and have a conversation. Let's drink some coffee. Let's cry together. 
Not only do I just acknowledge, not only do I care, but a loving neighbor says, I also feel it. And because I feel it so deep in me, because my heart now is his heart, and his heart now is my heart, I want to come before you, and I want to live with you, and I want to see if I can help relieve the pain that you have. That's what a loving neighbor is. A loving neighbor goes deeper. A loving neighbor, man, is moved by so much compassion. I mean, how in the world does Jesus on the cross, how in the world does he say seven statements and let one of them say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How does he say that? Where does that come from? It comes because his heart is different than our heart. It comes because his heart, there's a different law that's written in his heart. There's a different spirit that's written in his heart. And he goes deeper than just acknowledging, deeper than just caring. But he felt the sin of the world. And not only that, but he says, I'm going to relieve the sin of the world. And he comes to the cross. And yet, while those who are spitting and mocking him and pointing the finger at him, he still says, Father, forgive them. Maybe it just begins with a reality, reality check. A loving neighbor, like the sinful woman, that I can't take my eyes off Christ. My sins were many and were forgiven, and now my response is to love much. How many of you can say your sins were many and have been forgiven? Okay, we need to have an altar call today, today so you can know that your sins can be forgiven today. If you did not know that, and if you did not know that's a truth. My sins are forgiven, and they are many. I think there was more that could relate to that. And if my sins are forgiven and there are many, my response is what now? To love much. If I have little, listen, I said this, but I'm going to repeat it just in case you didn't write in your notes. If I have a little view of forgiveness, write this down. If I have a little view, what I mean by little, I wanted to use size as an example, but if you have an incorrect view of forgiveness, a little view of forgiveness, incorrect view, then I operate with a little love, with incorrect love. But if I have the right view of forgiveness, then I operate with much love. The priest and the Levite placed themselves over the afflicted man so there was no room to be a loving neighbor. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. The, 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 they, they put themselves over the man. And there was no room to be a loving neighbor. They would, listen to this, they would, they would never be able to feel others suffering, sympathy, and want to relieve another suffering, compassion. I look at Jesus and I see what he operated in. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles real quick as we get ready to just close off. Go to Luke chapter 19. I want to see if you get something out of this. I think you will. I'm going to share a couple more passages. And, but, but listen to this. In Luke 19, Jesus is, uh, I said this uh, two Sundays ago, but I want to go into the text today. Jesus is looking onto Jerusalem. And as he's looking onto Jerusalem, he recognizes that in that city, in just days from now, I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be arrested, beat, betrayed, mocked. They're going to punch me. At one moment, they're going to rip my beard off. They're going to, hang, they're going to 
put me on a cross. I'm going to be naked. My very own disciples are going to deny me. The, the very own religious body, the figurehead, the religious leaders, they're going to be part of this move to crucify me. The very crowds who I love here, which I consider my family, the Jewish people, they're going to cry out, crucify him, instead of fighting for me. And he's looking from a distance onto Jerusalem, and he's thinking all these thoughts. This very place, the city that was set up on a hill, and look what they're going to do to the Messiah. The role that Jerusalem, the crowds and the leaders of Jerusalem would play in his crucifixion. And yet he looks at Jerusalem, and what does he do? Luke 19 says, verse 41, but as he came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, it says he began to weep. He says, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But it's too late. Peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, enemies will build ramparts against your walls and circle you and close you in from every side. They will crush you in the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place. We know what happens in 70 AD. Jerusalem is destroyed. And why? Why is all this going to happen? Verse 44, he says, because you did not recognize it when God visited you. He's crying. He's weeping for them. You didn't recognize my visitation. Matthew 23 puts it this way in verse 37. Matthew 23 says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I've wanted to gather your children together. Listen to his words. As a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. But you would not let me. And now look at your house. It is abandoned and desolate. For I tell you this, you will never see me again until you say blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Got to come to know who I am. I look at the words of Christ. I look at the life of Christ. And I recognize that here's a man that is moved with compassion. Even when faced with what's about to happen to him. He's moved with compassion for the very crowds. To the point where he says, I just wanted to bring you in. I just wanted to bring your children in. But you neglect me. You have to come to recognize me, my visitation upon you. I love what Paul says to the church of Colossae in chapter 3. In verse 11 to 16, I'm just going to read it out loud. Listen to this. He says, in this life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. And since God chose you to be holy people, he loves. You must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy. I'm going to talk about tender-hearted next, next week. A loving neighbor has a tender heart. And this is what I'm going to talk about next week. The reason why you struggle with not having a tender heart is because you might struggle in how you pray. We'll talk about it next Sunday. 
So I want, us, I want this church to be many things. And I want this church to do many things. But what I really want from this family is that we would have tender hearts. You must clothe yourself with tender heart and mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. You know what that means? Give room for each other to fail. My God, you're so hard on people. You're so hard on yourself. Get room. That's going to change when we start talking about prayer and what that looks like. I have failed people in this room. And people in this room have failed me. But I'm going to still choose to love. Give allowance. Forgive another one who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you. Forgive others. Above all, you clothe yourselves with love. Loving neighbor. <laughs> what are you supposed to get dressed up in? why love man why love because it binds us together in perfect harmony let the peace that comes from Christ let it rule in your heart for as members of one body you're called to live in peace and to always always be thankful loving neighbor that's what you're called to be if God's love is in you God's love works through you lately I don't care about it's so important for you to know please listen to it. it's so important for you to know it's so important for you to know but lately I could care about less about your conversations about what you know when you're doing horrible in what you do. Because if you really knew, you really would do. Loving neighbors, what we're called to be. There's so many different words and messages in this but I'll let it rest and take it as long as he wants to take it. <clears throat> I said that next week, I want to search into this some more. He's been speaking to me so strongly. I'm going to have a conversation. I'm going to hold myself accountable <coughs> by saying this out loud. I'm going to hold myself accountable today and I need to even have a conversation with my wife about this stuff. Because the Lord has been strongly speaking to me about prayer. Like it's crazy what he's been doing to me. The prayer of a loving neighbor is consistent with the heart of God. The prayer of a loving neighbor speaks and declares agreement to the heart of God. The prayer of a loving neighbor ultimately reveals the heart of God. And he's been speaking to me so much about this and it's been so humbling it's been
been such a humbling thing and it's, uh, I hope it takes me deeper in the week to come. So I'm going to encourage you with this. I'm not even going to look at anyone. If you have enemies, if you've been wronged, hurt, if situations have pained you, do whatever you can, but be here next week. And I believe the word is going to challenge us, both challenge us and encourage us to next Sunday. Because I believe in this room, each one of us, something has touched our heart in a way where it's been difficult. And I believe God is going to stick his finger in that for a little while. And he's going to mess some of us up. He's going to wreck your life. And the reason why he's going to wreck your life is that you can begin to live as a loving neighbor. <clears throat> Even before the very one and the very things that have caused that pain. Some of you guys live with that person. We are done being a church that we just put things under the rug and you still have not confronted the person you live with. You're going to choose love. Some of you need to call someone. Some of you need to pray different. We're going to take action to what we know. And you're going to be a hold accountable to his word. And you're going to have to answer this. Are you called to be a loving neighbor? You. Forget about the person next to you. They deal with God. You. Are you called to be a loving neighbor on this earth? But let's, talk, let's continue to talk about that. <clears throat> After you've done it and your heart is healed, then your heart is healed. You did it well with good intentions. That's why your heart is healed. If you did it and your heart is still not healed, maybe the intentions were wrong. The motive behind it was wrong. So we have to go back now and we have to reevaluate. Is my heart really right before God? Because I thought I did it in obedience, but my God, I'm still dark inside. Maybe it's because the motive was wrong. Amen? Come on, loving neighbors, you're moved with compassion. The sins of omission and commission are yet the same in being sins. God's called you to be moved with compassion. Let's stand up together. <clears throat> Let's come before his presence as we already are. Come on, just close your eyes. Start, start talking to him. What do you got to speak to him about? What do you have to speak to him about? Go ahead, speak it, speak it, speak it. can't pray what only you can pray I can't give to the Lord what only you can give to the Lord so this is your moment give it to him speak it to him come on be a loving neighbor let today be the day of change